0: Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider with the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David.
1: So happy to be with you together again, Kevin.
0: And I and I think
1: that you would probably
0: like to say that one of the things that makes you really happy is it that, that uh, our old pal Evan Grant is not with us
1: today. I do have a little pep in my step. I can't <laughs> deny that. <laughs>
0: Evan would hate to hear that. Evan's out today, so we're giving him a day off and and a well-deserved day off. Bless his heart. He's worked so hard. Well, I would
1: argue he's off even when he's on this podcast. Oh, my Based on some of our previous conversations. (laughs) But, no, please, prop him up. Go ahead. He needs it. Yeah, I know. He He does. he He needs it. He needs positive reinforcement
0: he does bless his heart uh he, he worked really hard and uh had his little job you
1: know
0: he, he, <laughs> he loves the diminutive you, you know yes yeah, it. uh, we we loves to do that. that's what he always asks me when i'm sitting there and I'm, I'm next to him in the press box he says are you finished with your little column yet yeah <laughs> yeah Be finished in just a minute then i'll you know, throw you out of this little press box <laughs> Um, so uh so anyway, we got a lot of stuff happening this week. Uh we've got the World Series, we've got uh the Mavericks resuming play after a disastrous start. Uh we had the uh Cowboys coming back to play after a week off, a much deserved and, and well-earned week off. And uh, the biggest news that we're trying to discern is whether Dak Prescott will be back um uh, after on the last play of the game against the Patriots winning touchdown pass he strained his right calf which is of course the same leg that he injured uh, broke his ankle and horrific injury last year brings up lots of concerns about whether he's going to be ready or not uh, so David what's your guess at this point about Dak Prescott playing this week against the Vikings
1: well club officials have been optimistic from the start that he would be able to play against Minnesota but I, I would say that while optimism is is always in vogue. It doesn't necessarily help you work through an injury any quicker, uh, just the physical realities of it. That um, Just on on where he is now, Dak Prescott had uh, the boot removed uh, over the weekend, so he's no longer in the boot. Uh, yesterday, there was a, a brief uh, player session at the Star. Um, Dak Prescott had a side bet with the nutritionist on another matter and the nutritionist was out there running wind sprints and Dak was uh, following him on the other side of the complex. And so when we saw him naturally, we, we shouted about, you know, whether or not, uh, how was he, was he going to play? And, uh, he looked over and he said, uh, if I told you now, you guys wouldn't have anything to write about for the next few days <laughs> and then just kind of smiled and said, I'm fine. And then walked in. Uh, back into the facility without a limp. But uh, the, the test to me is going to be what happens on uh, Wednesday and Thursday. That's when the Cowboys, who were given last week off, uh, returned to the practice field for the first time since beating New England. Uh, I would imagine he would be limited in both of those sessions, especially on Wednesday. But, you know, how much does he take part in? Does the, you know, does he feel any tugging in there? Does it, feel not quite right. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Zach Martin, one of the players uh, spoke to on Monday, uh, missed time last year at the calf strain. And uh, he said he's talked to Dak about it. And he said the thing that was frustrating for him was his calf would feel fine. And he would say, okay, well, I've worked past this. And then he would get out and practice. And he said, as soon as a 320 pound defensive lineman went up against me, and I started moving back, I realized the calf wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to play, which one is concerning because you can feel right. And then it just pops up again, but two, it gets to the positional difference, right? Uh, a, a cast strain with an offensive lineman with a 320 pound guy pushing on you every single play or a running back or a wide receiver who has to have that quick burst, uh, to, to get off the line. Um, uh, it's a little bit different, I think, than a, than a quarterback. A, a quarterback can manage that injury a little better, I think, than some other positions because it's not about being explosive. Now, we'll cut into your mobility, uh, when the play breaks down, you may just have to sit there and take a sack, which you normally wouldn't want to do. But I, I think with three-step drops, getting you know the ball out quickly, I, I think those would be some things you would see incorporated in against Minnesota if he is able to go.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I just uh, struggle with this whole thing about the idea of rushing him back out there on the field. You know, uh, Dak has had more injuries and things happen to him in the last year than he'd had at any point in his career. You know, it's a short career, but he's been very durable. And well, now some things have turned up. We yeah, have besides the, the broken ankle, uh, which is not a normal injury. That's just something that happens. Uh, you know, uh, I don't think it's indicative of, of anything, really, other than the fact that it was just a horrific injury. Uh, but we did have the shoulder issues that that propped uh, or uh, came up in uh, training camp. Uh, they gave him some time off and allowed him to kind of get over that. And, and as far as we can tell, no lingering issues uh, from from that thing,
1: which could have been so yeah. very good, a very good thing. They shut him down for three weeks, and he didn't throw a ball for three weeks. Uh, if he was in the season, if if he would have had a a shoulder strain, which is what he had coming out of the New England game they would be managing this and he'll just have to deal with it the rest of the way and not be quite right. So how is a calf strain different from that? And so that's where you start weighing the, okay, you know, if there's any doubt about his level of, of, you know, to be able to perform on Sunday, would it make sense to shut him down and in essence give him you know, three full weeks before his next game versus two weeks before the next between injuries. And and will that make a difference over the course of the season? Those are the things you weigh. And also, as you you mentioned, you know, this is the same leg where he had the uh, compound fracture and dislocated ankle. And, you know, he got off to such a fast start. Uh, everyone kind of forgot the concerns or or the, you know, the narrative going into the season was, well, there's going to be some rust here and you have to watch for uh, his body responding and coming back from the injury. And maybe he's more susceptible to a few other injuries. Is this one of them that he's more susceptible to? Uh, you, you can't really, they say no, but you can't dismiss it at this point. Uh, you, you've seen time and time again, players come back from, uh, catastrophic injuries and, and have to fight through injuries that next season before their body is completely right. Just because he got off to a fast start doesn't mean he's immune from that. So, I, I again, I don't think there are serious flags here, but, but there are some flags that you have to to watch for and monitor the rest of the way.
0: Yeah. And I want to make comparisons as well. You know, we, we obviously know that, you know, all injuries are different and uh, okay. people's recoveries are different, uh, but we kind of do draw a kind of an average of what happens to, to athletes. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers cornerback, suffered a calf strain in October the 3rd. Uh, he played last weekend. And said that yeah, it it still bothers me a little bit, Uh, and so that's you know that's three weeks uh, that it was Mm -hmm. still bothering him. So I I think it's a legitimate concern, and I certainly think that given where the Cowboys are today, uh, a team that is five and one, uh, given where the NFL is today, uh, uh, kind of bereft of you know the traditional powers, all the usual suspects have have been dropping left and right, uh, the Chiefs uh, notably. Uh, that this is a season where the Cowboys could be going places. And, and thinking that you have got to have Dak out there against the Minnesota Vikings uh, this week when you've got a 35 a a game lead in your division, I just don't think, you know, it, it's just not smart football. If he's ready to go, then sure, that's fine. If you, help, if you hold him out all week because you don't think he's ready and then you're just going to run him out there to play Sunday, which I think he could do that, uh, he could play without practicing, and then what was the point of keeping him out of practice? Uh, so I think there's just such a big picture here, not only of Dak's health, obviously you want to help preserve that, uh, but also because of this team has a chance to really, really doing something this year. And you you kind of talked about that today in your column today, Tuesday.
1: Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, well, one, the, the fact uh, the season can no longer be broken down into quarters, I think drives coaches crazy. Uh, When it was 16 games, it was nice to break the season down into first quarter, second quarter, third, fourth. Uh, Now coaches have to kind of come up with a different configuration on how to break up the season to still like address immediate goals and, and and shorten them up while you still reach the long-term goal. Uh, So what Mike McCarthy has done is broken this down into uh, that. This is a natural break here, right? With the bye six games. Well, five and one altered the, the perception and really what it, reasonable expectations of this season. Uh, they should be altered. you know I think a lot of people going into this season felt that 10 to 11 wins would would be a pretty good season for Dallas. At this moment, if there are no significant injuries, I think you have to argue that 10 or 11 wins would be a disappointment based off of what we've seen from this team so far and, and the rest of the conference. So now you look at how it's broken up and you have that six game stretch, Now, you have this next six-game stretch where you have six games in 31 days, including three in 13 days. And then you end it with five games in the final 32 days. And that's how he's breaking it down now. And you look at that. This is the key stretch coming up, in my mind, in the middle. Uh, But right now, at this moment, it's hard to find more than two, maybe three games the rest of the way that the Cowboys won't be favored. Uh, now, that's not to say they will win all of those games, but with 11 games left, if there are only two, maybe three games where you aren't favored, uh, again, you're looking at a team that I, I think it's fair to set the over-under at 13 wins. Uh, I think you can argue that. And do you do you take the over or the under or the push on there? I, but I think 13 games is realistic uh, based the rest of the way, what their schedule is and looking at it. If very quickly, six of their final 11 games are against teams with a losing record. Uh, only three teams at the moment have a winning record the rest of the way. So uh, Dallas is in a in a great position here going forward. Um, you know this Minnesota game I would argue is one of their tougher games going forward. Uh, just given where it's played, uh, given the uncertainty about Dak's status. Uh, coming off the bye where you you know wonder if there 's a little bit of, of rust getting back, although we 'll say Minnesota's also coming off a bye. but you know that game means a lot more to Minnesota than it does to Dallas, and Dallas beat Minnesota in Minnesota last year, so there 's that uh, incentive as well but But I think the really key stretch here and and you know Kevin, you and I talked about it watching that Kansas City game this weekend I, I was just I think anyone five to six weeks ago looking at the schedule, would have said, no way Dallas goes into Arrowhead and wins that game. Now, after watching what the Chiefs have done and watching that Tennessee game where they weren't even competitive, I think you say, how in the world can Dallas not win that game? Now, I think things can still change before they go there in three weeks. But that is, to me, the whether Dallas wins 12, 13 games here, it's going to come down to that stretch, starting with that Kansas City game on November 21st where in the span of 13 days, they play at Kansas City, come back and play Las Vegas on Thanksgiving, uh, a team that is now five and two, and then go to New Orleans to play the Saints, who are four and two. And uh, everyone knows how difficult it is to play in New Orleans. And And at that point, Kansas City, the way the season has started out, they're going to be kind of desperate, aren't they? I mean, they're not going to be able to give up many home wins uh, to, to get back in the thing in the AFC. So... Uh, I think the Kansas City game will still be a significant test. And I think that three games in 13 days is going to tell you whether Dallas is competing for the best record in the conference and a bye or if they've dropped out of that race.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. You know, you, you look at around the league, it's like you said, uh, uh, the teams that you felt like were going to be really difficult uh, on the schedule, uh you know, it just hadn't happened. Uh, and then that happens every year. You know, you sure. see teams that, that don't end up being as well. It's a year-to-year league, and uh, and, and some teams just don't live up to what you're thinking. It, it, you know, the problem for me watching the Chiefs is that it's clear now that maybe they relied on Patrick Mahomes a little too much uh, over the last, you know, three years. And uh, and I think you got a great stat about him uh, in the, uh, his uh, his NFL career so far.
1: Yeah, I saw this the other day. It's either 51 or 53 regular season games. I apologize. I don't have it right in front of me. But that game against Tennessee was the first time that Patrick Mahomes has ever played in an NFL game where he didn't throw for at least 250 yards and a touchdown. To me, that's that's a remarkable stat. And go back just a few years. I mean, everyone's talking about how well Dak Prescott's playing. If you remember, his second and third season, he was going six and seven games and couldn't reach 200 yards passing. Yeah, so, right. So, I mean, the fact Mahomes has been able to do this for that long, I mean, that game was an aberration, but it still underscores that Kansas City isn't right. And and will they be able to flip the switch by the time they face Dallas? Because they're going to have to flip it pretty soon. Yeah, absolutely. You can't just do that all overnight. So, uh, so David, if we look at the,
0: the Cowboys schedule from here on out, uh, let's, let's take them game by game now. So we got the Vikings this week. I I think that's certainly up in the air considering Dak's status uh, and Kirk Cousins has been playing very well this year. Uh, So that's, that was, that's a game that I, I'm I'm trying to remember if I had them winning or losing that before I I had them at 10 and seven before the season started. I'm sure I must've had this is a loss uh, because of that. I'm not sure. So uh, yeah,
1: I, I think the fact it's on the road with Dak status, uh, uncertain status, this may be one of the few times – I haven't seen the line yet may, – maybe one of the few times they're not favored here uh, over these final 11 weeks of the season. Yeah. Uh,
0: and then uh, – so then let's go right down the list after that.
1: Yeah, Denver, Atlanta at home. Uh, they're yeah. certainly going to be favored on, on both of those. Yeah. Uh, at Kansas City, depending on what the Chiefs have done here, uh, right. you know, we'll see. Uh, at home against Las Vegas, uh, they'll be favored there uh, they because all, it's at home.
0: That's a that's going to be a tough game. I, I'm having a hard time believing that Rich Basaccia is going to come back <laughs> here. I don't think Dallas. that coaching
1: staff will out-coach the staff uh, the, the, yeah. the Cowboys have in place. Well, w- yeah. Let's
0: hope they could. Let's hope they could do <laughs> that.
1: And And very quickly, just to show where Dallas is now, okay, it's 31 days until that game. Dallas could lose every game they play. Leading into Thanksgiving, and they would still lead the division regardless of what the rest of the NFC East is doing around them. So they can go to Thanksgiving and not win a game, and still at the minimum have a half-game lead on the rest of the division.
0: That's, well, that's not the d- gap
1: they've opened up.
0: Let's not dismiss the Eagles because they got Joe Flacco back. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they're, they're they're going places now. Yeah. yeah, this is this has just been crazy watching. I mean, we knew that the NFC East was not going to be any good, uh, and boy, they have lived up to that. So that, that's going to do it for our Cowboys uh, segment of the podcast now. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the Mavericks uh, who have gotten their season underway. Uh, as, uh, as we're uh, talking right now, they're uh, getting ready to play Tuesday night. Uh, and, uh, and then they will play again on Thursday. I will be out there for that game on Thursday. Uh, so they, against the Hawks in the opener, just a brutal debut for for Jason Kidd I can't imagine that uh, that any coach in Mavericks history has had a worse debut than that that was it was unwatchable I was I was trying to watch it as much as I could and still watch the baseball as well and I'm flipping back and forth and I found myself just sticking with the baseball broadcast even through commercials it was just every time I would go back to the Mavericks game it's like this is is unwatchable. They're just they're just awful. They just they look like we've got no clue offensively, and we're not really stopping anybody on defense either.
1: Yeah, and that's the that's always been that's what this team has struggled with for so long, right? Trying to strike that balance between offense and defense, and they are still an offensive team that needs to play defense, but an offensive team uh, that has to work and compensate for their deficiencies defensively often lose that energy when their shots aren't falling. Um, You know, it's just a a different mentality. You still need to be a certain level of proficiency offensively to fuel that energy on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, when you've lost that and you're still trying to change your identity, uh, you know, and and find that balance, you you can get lost and look really bad on occasion. And uh, they looked really, really bad in that opener
0: yeah they did and they finally got it back in uh, Toronto in the second half it took the second half to do that at one point in the first half I think they were down by 12 points uh against uh, uh, Toronto and, and then they finally in the second half they just decided you know what how about if we just spread the floor and let Luca drive and penetrate and see what happens and then of course everything took off from that from that point I'm assuming that's probably what they're gonna continue to do now uh but but you know I'm not sure about that I don't I don't know you know uh, we know Callie Kaplan, who covers the Mavericks for us now, and uh, wrote about it today, and talked about the differences in the games and their approaches, and and what they're trying to do, and, and the difference between uh, Jason Kidd coached Mavericks team and a Rick Carlisle coached Mavericks team. And we know that Rick Carlisle believed in spacing and three point shots. Uh, he's mm-hmm. he was big in analytics, big in our uh, the things that it, that our, our old buddy Bob Vulgaris was supplying uh, the Mavericks uh, in statistics and and that sort of sort of stuff. Jason Kidd, a little more old school, wants to go big, uh, take advantage of the height advantages you have. And and I got to tell you, I, I do think they're, you know, I, I'm not going to argue with Rick's offensive office, uh, efficiency. That was off the charts a lot of the times. Uh, their, their problem is always they couldn't play any defense. Um, but when you've got a guy like uh, uh you know, Porzingis, who is, you know, 7'3 and can do the kind of things he does. You know, this is the thing when you watch a, a Turner broadcast and the Mavericks are on it, it's always so great. Because then you get Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley arguing about what a what doofuses the Mavericks are for, you know, having Chris Stapps standing out there at the three-point line and shooting when and there are obviously times when he could go down low and post up on guys smaller than him, which pretty much is everybody. Everybody's smaller than Chris Dotsporzingas. And why doesn't he do that more often? And and when the Mavericks will say, well, the numbers say he's more valuable out here at the three-point line.
1: Yeah. And, and it's, uh, you know, you're, you're always going to have a, a push and pull between that mentality and, and spacing the floor. Um, you know, I will say with the I- extreme that um, you, Rick's philosophy was fine if you had better athletes who were better at rebounding the ball and getting second chance points and keeping, you know, part of the why they weren't good defensively was they weren't good on the boards consistently in the spacing time and they couldn't um so they didn't get second opportunities or they or they gave the opponent too many opportunities you know when they're spreading which which really undercut the good things they did defensively you know in today's game i don't care how good you are defensively um you can't play 20 seconds and then of good defense and then give up the ball on an offensive rebound and 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 watch that offense take it out and spread it and do it again i mean how often can you do that and that's what that's what I think, too often happened to the Cowboys' defense. Mavericks' uh, they, defense. I mean, Mavericks' defense, excuse me. Yeah, they weren't rewarded uh, for the strong defense they played because they didn't get enough boards. Why didn't they get enough boards? They went small a lot, and the guys weren't that athletic. They were good players, but they weren't, you know, guys who had an uh, ability to rebound the way you needed to to make that style work. So, that um, just like last year when we talked about them trying to play better defense – they're in a transition in this first year under, under Jason Kidd and, and tweaking the formula uh, to, to try to work to the strengths of Porzingis uh, while still keeping the offense efficient and spread, but being better defensively. And is going to take time to find that balance if they do. The issue is the Western Conference is so strong at the top, if it takes you too long to find that balance, you played yourself out of home court, a chance for home court advantage in the first 20, 30 games of the season. And now you're chasing the rest of the way. Um, It's just, it's just very difficult. You need to find that balance as soon as you can, when it's as competitive as it is. And um, I I think Dallas squandered that a little bit last year. Um, You know, it took too long to establish that. And then when they got it, they were too far behind and then you're pressing, trying to catch up. And again, well, look, this team goes out in the first round again. Well, it's because it didn't get home court advantage in the first round. So um, they have to adapt. You have to do that, but they have to do it while finding a way for home court advantage. And that's a, I think that's a a real equation that the, that Jason Kidd and this staff have to keep in mind. And at some point they have to say, okay, we got to start playing it and keep ourselves in the race here for home court advantage. And, and, Maybe it takes a little longer to get to that uh, ratio that we want, but we we've got a you know l- let's just win here. We got to get this win.
0: Yeah, I think at that point you you can't start off the season zero and two with you know the Toronto's not what Toronto used to be, and and uh, you you really needed to win that game yeah. after it's such a terrible start against the Hawks. Uh, you know, and and I. I and I'm, I'm not trying to raise any stink here or anything because I'm okay. All- whenever
1: you preface a statement with that, but please go <laughs> ahead. When the
0: Mavericks made the trade with the Hawks, and they sent the, the first round draft pick uh, along with Trey Young to the Hawks, uh, so then the Hawks ended up with Cam Reddish, and all of a sudden, now Cam Reddish is playing really well. And you watch that that, that first game. And Trey Young, of course, looks like Trey Young. He looks terrific. And then Cam Reddish comes out, and he's playing really well, too. And then, I, you know, I'm just going to say that I thought Luca looked a little slow in that game against the Hawks. I thought he looked – he was having a really hard time beating people off the dribble. Maybe looks a little bit big. I, I'm not positive of that. But, you know, uh, I, I guess I would just like to say I would like for him to come into camp Really in good shape. Now, everybody's saying he's in good shape this year. That's not an issue this time. I just didn't think it looked like it in, in the opener against the Hawks. Now, maybe that was just me watching on TV. You know, TV adds 10 pounds to you, you know, something <laughs> like that. E- Evan always says it adds
1: like 100 pounds. Yeah, sure. like, like 25 to Evan, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. But, uh, no, and again, I I find it amusing because this was the same conversation we were having last season, right? Uh, well, Luca's a great player, but is he really in shape? Is he, uh, some guys just play their way into shape. He doesn't have an Adonis body. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. Uh, And and of course I am one to talk about Adonis bodies because I can certainly, from my perspective, I am an Adonis though. I just want to say, (laughs) I want to put that in. But, uh, no, you know, some players just, and again, we're talking about a slow start. It's two games. Right. And, and he was one, he was one rebound shy of a triple double in the second game. You know, so, um, some players aren't at their best to start a season and the argument's always, well, you want them at their best to end the season, right? So you need to build towards something. Um, uh, but great players and Luca is a great player. Don't have the same latitude that other players have to play their way in shape. You expect the best from them from the start to finish. And, uh, that's just uh, part of the the obligation of, of greatness, and, and he needs to show that.
0: Absolutely, I like that obligation of greatness. I I, I feel that burden myself. The obligation <laughs> of greatness. It's like I that's what I tell you know Gary Level, our boss, every day. It's like, do I have to be great every day? Every day? Do is I have to just, carry this section every day? Is there not one day I could just write something that was a little subpar? Uh, he said. He said, no. Frankly, no. Uh so you know, just just great coaching is what it is by great level. But they, they um, let me do
1: that. like they, they let me do the subpar so it puts more of a burden on you.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I hope I hope you appreciate that. I hope to balance, you out. Hope
1: to balance you out, is what I'm Yeah, that's
0: about. right. There we go. I like I need some balance. Um okay. So that's gonna do it for our, our math segment. Now we're gonna kinda do, combo up a little bit. Uh, the World Series uh, is starting Tuesday night. Uh, as we talk about this, the, the, uh, the Houston Astros w- will be playing in their fourth World Series. And I got to tell you, David, uh, as you someone
1: think the embraces that, the Astros, well, back yeah, in the World I,
0: Series. I know. It's just so crazy because, you know, I, I grew up in Houston. And, uh, and as I noted the other day in my newsletter, uh, you know, growing up, I was always the smallest kid in my class until a late surge in high school and I, I feel like I blame that on the Astros because I, I was such a huge Astros fan, and I think that stunned my growth. Uh, <laughs> it was such a brutal existence growing up in the 60s and the uh, early 70s as an Astros fan because they, you know, not only were they bad all of that time, they consistently traded away the, the, the team's best players. And I don't mean just, oh, these were okay players. Some, you know, One of them was a Hall of Famer. Se- several of them were players who were multi-time all-stars and they got nothing back for any of those guys so it was a a brutal existence so now to see the the Astros to be in the World Series for the fourth time in the last 16 years is just really phenomenal uh, to watch that development and and, you know I I realize that I I have to say you know in in my own family uh my two sons hate the Astros hate them (laughs) Hate hate the idea. I, I said, "Well, what if they asked What if the Rangers sign Carlos Correa?" Uh, my oldest son that "I will never watch another Rangers game again." You know that—that's their attitude about because of the cheating scandal. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, maybe it's from all my years covering college football uh, that is like cheating. Well, I mean, everybody cheats, right? You know, are we really going to hold this against somebody because they they cheated? You know, Eddie Robinson died uh, a couple of weeks ago hundred years old oldest living uh, player in baseball mm-hmm. wrote in his book about the 1948 Cleveland Indians who stationed a, a pitcher out in the scoreboard in center field with a telescope. And then he would signal to a guy wearing a white uniform to he, all right, same with your legs closed. That means a fastball. So the, so the players can see that when they're up to bat, it was in 1948, <laughs> you know? So, uh, so yeah, I, I'm not saying cheating is right. I'm not saying that, you know, but I, I think that, Boy, at some point we just got to let it go and realize that this is a really good team. These are these are good players, and you know uh, it, it's it's bad enough that uh, it's, we can't hardly stomach to watch the Rangers without having to be sick about the Astros being in the World Series. I mean, can, can we just forget that?
1: Yeah, and and so many people when Dusty Baker went there, right? The whole thing was. Oh, Dusty Baker's a great guy. I love him, but oh, I I can't pull for the Astros. I mean, what am I going to do here? And so, so now they're trying to rationalize it. Well, I'll watch it because I like Dusty Baker. It'd be great for him to win. But so, so this dichotomy's developed. And, and you're right. I I I really do think it's generational. Like you say, your kids want nothing to do with them. Well, they're the generation. That's really all they know, right? You know, of the Astros. That that defines the Astros for their sports existence uh and what they know of them um you and so many other people have such a different view of the astros uh certainly not the the lovable losers to the level of the cubs i mean no no one has done that over time but but there was that feel where it's just like oh what, what are they going to do now and then when you actually see them get good uh you want to feel good about that and now I think a lot of Astros fans at least publicly feel they have to feel conflicted over the Astros being back yeah. in the World Series. It's like, oh, well, yeah, it, it, it's great. And, and, you know, how how much longer are they going to have to pay for fast sins? Okay, we realize that what they did was bad, but this is a different team. They're not doing that now. I give them credit. So it's – uh, but but whenever you have to, as a fan base, rationalize or defend your team playing for a world championship, uh. You know how bad the perception is uh, around the country. You know, uh,
0: oh, no question about it. Our old pal Richard Justice, who writes a, a, an internet or web column for Texas Monthly, uh, wrote the other day and, and called it uh, Houston against the world. Yeah. Uh, and so that's true. So I'm going to say though that in, in this series, I'm, I'm going with the Braves. I'll, I'm going to say the Braves in seven. I think it'll be a good series. Uh, I think the two best teams that are playing uh, the best at the end of the season are the t- are the two teams that made it. So. Uh I, I think that uh it, it ought to be great. I hope it's great. Uh and I hope that it uh that no one's banging any trash cans down around the afternoon. <laughs> so
1: we'll we'll see what happens. I find it interesting that we actually have a fascinating baseball discussion when Evan's not here. <laughs> <laughs> Evan I'm, not say, say, I'm uh, not saying there's a correlation. Oh no,
0: no, you wouldn't say that. No, no, not at all. Uh, so here's another uh, discussion we can have without Evan, and that is about the uh, the next uh, football coach at Texas Tech. Uh, Kirby Cut, the athletic director at Texas Tech, didn't wait any longer after that loss to Kansas State after they blew that uh, lead in the second yeah. half, uh, and decided that enough's enough. I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they're, they're going to close against uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Texas, which is like boom, 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 and boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that and why suffer through all of that? Why not go ahead and get started on trying to find a new head coach? This, uh, is going to be a, a, a make or break hire for Hokut. Uh, and the, the last time when he hired Matt Wells from Utah State was not a popular hire among a lot of the big donors at Texas Tech. Uh, the big discussion back then was either uh, some of them wanted Art Briles, some of them wanted Dana Holgerson. Uh, he, he didn't even give uh, Dana Holgerson, who was at West Virginia at the time, an interview. Uh, and Dana had been on Mike Leach's staff, of course, at Texas Tech. He went on to Houston uh, mm-hmm. and has had a very marginal record there since then, as a matter of fact. Uh, I think Dana Holgerson is probably in play here. Art Browse is a little bit in play uh, for this job. Uh, I think the 1 and 1A are Sonny Dykes, the SMU coach who has the Mustangs undefeated this year and has done a terrific job since succeeding Chad Morris. And Jeff Traylor, uh, the coach at UT San Antonio in his second year as a head coach, his only two seasons as a head coach, but a very well-known recruiter uh, in, in Texas and also a great high school football coach, won three state championships at Gilmer, in East Texas, and also was a runner-up twice. Uh, Jeff Trader is an extremely popular figure in the high school coaching ranks in Texas. Uh, he he did a great job as a recruiter at Texas, at Arkansas, and at SMU. So you, it, Jeff Trader presents you the opportunity of a guy who is very popular in the high school coaching ranks, and you really got to have that in recruiting at Texas Tech, and and be a guy who has Turned around a, a program that was going nowhere, right? Uh, yep, they've already sure. they're going they've already won eight games. Uh, that's the most that, that they've ever won, even when Larry Coker was there. And so I mean, it's a very small sample size with UTSA, but they beat Illinois. Mm-hmm. You know uh, that's pretty good uh, to beat a Big Ten team. Uh, so I think that uh, those two guys. I, I think that Sonny's probably going to be their first choice. the The problem is going to be. He seems like, obviously, a natural candidate for the Texas Tech job. He he went to Texas Tech. He didn't play football there. He played baseball. But, obviously, his old man was Spike Dykes, still much revered in Tech history. And he was a protege of Mike Leach, also much revered in Texas Tech history. So, what could be better than that, right? This is the quintessential Tech guy.
1: Well, I'll be interested to hear what you think about, to me, the decision to stay at SMU Or go to Texas Tech is a fascinating one. So not to say whether he will or he won't, but how do you weigh those two options and what would tilt the scales in one direction or the other for you there when you're deciding of of staying at SMU and you have something in place that's pretty good versus going to Tech and what you can do there?
0: You know, I think most coaches would say it's a no-brainer. You go to Texas Tech, and you mm-hmm. go to Texas Tech because you're in a Power 5 conference, at least for now. I mean, how, who knows how long, much longer that is. Uh, but Texas Tech has has a big vision here that after, the, uh, after Texas and OU leave, that they should be the bell cow of the Big 12 in football. Uh, and then, you know, I think Oklahoma State would have an argument with that. Baylor would have an argument with that. But, you know, Texas Tech should. That should be a possibility. But – Sonny's a little different animal. Uh, You know, he wanted to come back to Texas. He he likes it at SMU. He's got a good thing going there. Uh, Maybe if he dominates the American Athletic Conference, you know, he can uh, end up, especially after Houston and Cincinnati and uh, UCF leave, maybe he can uh, wiggle into the playoff if it's 12 teams from the AC. So I think that's Mm -hmm. certainly a possibility um and there's a there's a question if you want to go back to texas tech which has kind of developed kind of a, a, a bunch of boosters out there who are getting a little I'm, I'm gonna say they're on the margins now there's a lot of people out there that are still mad about mike leach there uh yeah. and, and his dismissal and, and it has kind of developed a a bunch of boosters or get a, a little bit of a renegade Type of reputations, mainly for kind the fact that, catter,
1: kind of a wildcatter, well,
0: kind of a wildcatter, kind they kind of been—they're just mad about things that have happened. They haven't liked it, so it's been very difficult. So it'll be very interesting to see how this all goes. I'm I'm interested to see uh, what, what develops here and uh, whether uh, Sonny's going to, uh, if he if he gets offered that job, whether he'd take it. So we'll see. Well, that wraps up another
1: episode of Sports Day Insider. Is it over already? Well, Evan, all. Good things come to an end, I suppose. The show is produced by Jeff Whittington. And presented by the Dallas Morning News. Our theme song is by Dallas' own John Dufalo.
0: Don't forget to follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your quality podcasts. You'll never miss a Sports Day Insider episode, and you'll discover some other
1: great shows. And if you liked what you heard, please rate the Dallas Morning News feed and give us a review. It helps us reach other sports fans and news junkies. Learn more about
0: this show and other shows at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find special Dallas Morning News subscription rates just for listeners.
1: Thanks again for listening.
0: We'll see you back here next week.